on this uh, beautiful spring day. <laughs> Glad to see you still get sarcasm. And if you're watching on the live stream, the weather is not so, not, it's, it's what they say, frightful. <laughs> that, you know, as, as we are having 47 degree temperatures and storms around us, I feel like this is revival. Here we go. The people of God saying, I'll get in my ark and nothing will keep me from worship. So I love this. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we are thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us. We hope that as you came in, you were greeted and given a goodie bag filled with some wonderful things and also some information about who we are as a church. We would love to have the opportunity to get to know you, build a relationship, build a friendship with you. Uh, we basically say that our motto here is to love God, love one another, and love our community. So that's what we aspire to and what we hope to. Uh, I'd ask if you're on the end of an aisle that you would get the friendship pad started. That lets us know, and that's for everybody, visitors, regular attenders, members. I'd like to say if you're breathing, sign those, get them started. Let us know that you're here and pass them down uh, the aisle. We would appreciate that. If you want to pull out your bulletins, I will just make several different announcements. Not all of them. This won't be comprehensive. You can always take your bulletin home and read it later. Uh, we obviously come to the Lord's table later on in the service, a wonderful opportunity where Jesus Christ feeds us with himself, and we have the opportunity to eat and drink spiritually from him and to feed on what he has done for us. So we pray that that will be a very special time in our service. Next Sunday, March the 19th, is a special day in the life of LOPC. And that is we will have a commission from Central Georgia Presbytery here to install Mike Palumbo as our assistant pastor. 
And so we hope that you can make that. After that, there will be a brief reception down in the pavilion where we get to meet Mike and Whitney and Ellie and celebrate with them. And to be honest, to celebrate with us. These are exciting days here at LOPC, and we're very, very excited. Uh, several other things going on. The family ministry kickoff. Mark your calendars for this Wednesday, March 29th, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., Travis and Ellen Skilling's dad will be giving us all the various opportunities where we can get involved with children and youth ministry. And so if you're interested in that, see Travis and Ellen. If you have any questions, we'll tell you more details as we get closer to that. And as we get closer to Easter and Holy Week, you have, I think, included in your bulletin as an insert with the schedule for Holy Week. And then I want to give a big plug and a big push for our Easter brunch, 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, a wonderful opportune time to invite your friends to enjoy us for Bacon Palooza. That's what I'm calling it this year. Okay? This is, I know we have all the hams and the casseroles and the eggs and the fruit, but it's Bacon Palooza where we get to come out and really enjoy that. And if you want to sign up for it, and volunteer to bring bacon and anything else. I believe there's, Brent, there is a sign-up sheet, right? I see Carol nodding her head. That's always a good sign when I see Carol nodding her head. Yes, sign up to help. We need volunteers to help out with the brunch. One other area of ministry that I want to emphasize this morning, uh, Susan Atkins talked about this last Sunday, and that is prayer partners. And this is a ministry where we have an opportunity I love when I get to say this. We have an opportunity to obey the Bible because that's what really this is all about. The scriptures describe us as a covenant family and our covenant children are members of the church. They're part of the church. And so what we want to do is have every child, every from birth through high school, prayed for by a family, by a married couple, by somebody in the church. And so if you want to sign up, you can sign up as a man, single men, single women, married couple. However, if you want to sign up for this to be a prayer partner for one of our covenant kids, please see Susan Atkins. Where's Susan? She said, there is. I'm looking for her. I've got to make sure. There she is. Susan will be here after the service. You can ask her any questions, but we would love to see you sign up for that. So those are some of the things going on in the life of the church. Let's prepare our hearts now for worship as we hear the prelude.
Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Father, we pray this morning that You would join us as we praise You in word, in song, in prayer, that with our whole heart we would give thanks unto You, that we would glory in Your holy name, that You would be our boast, our obsession, that the hearts of those who seek the Lord would rejoice, that we would seek You and Your strength, that we would seek Your presence continually. And so, Father, may You be here with us this morning. May You be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24, and he says to the church at Ephesus, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The picture that Paul is painting here of our Christian lives, of our sanctification, is that of always putting off, which in a sense dehumanizes us. Put off the old self. And he says, it's corrupt through deceitful desires. So I'll just give an example. You know, for me, I always have to continually put, in, put off wanting to make everybody happy, 
wanting to like being liked. And the deceitful desire that goes within that is, if I have that, everything will be fine. And in a sense, here's where it's deceitful. Because our happiness, our joy, our satisfaction is truly in Jesus. And so when I'm living out of that idol, in a sense, what I'm saying is Jesus is not enough. And so what does Paul say? Here's how you learned Christ. Put that off. Put that away. Take that off and put on the new self, the Christ-like self that is being renewed. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't give up on us. It says, is being renewed. I find that to be so hopeful. We're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is not a time for morbid introspection or beating ourselves up. This is a time of extreme hopefulness. That Christ loves us. That we are his treasured possession. And he wants what's best for us. Take a few moments. Examine your hearts. Examine your lives. This is a time for you to personally engage with God. What is it that you need to put off in order to put on the new self created after the likeness and image of God? Then in a few minutes, I will invite us in and we will pray together our corporate confession of sin. Let's pray. Friends, let us pray together. O Lord, you who are all merciful, take away my sins from me and enkindle within me the fire of your Holy Spirit. Take away this heart of stone from me and give me a heart of flesh and blood, a heart to love and adore you, a heart which may delight in you, love you, for Christ's sake. Amen. And our assurance of pardon from Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let us continue to worship, standing and singing together before the throne of God above.
Let's go to the Lord now in a time of prayer. We have this truly, truly amazing privilege of communing with God. God has promised he's here with us. He's not far off. We have a tendency, I think, so often to think of God as so transcendent. And he is. He's holy. He's transcendent. He's other. But we're limiting God when we don't realize he is also imminent. You know, Jesus' name was Emmanuel. God with us. There is a closeness. There is a nearness. There is a union and an intimacy with Jesus. That's why the language of the Christian life is walking with Christ. We are called to experience Jesus. That's why when we go to the Lord's table, I think this is such a significant means of grace. I think in eating and drinking tangible items that are signs and seals, Jesus wants us to feel love and forgiveness and righteousness that can be tasted. So friends, let's commune with the living God. We will pray together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a time of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, the Apostle Paul, encouraging the church at Ephesus, said, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So this is his prayer from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And what did he pray for? He said that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Father, that's amazing. Paul is saying that our hearts are too weak to be able to handle union with Christ, that our hearts need to be strengthened, that we can handle Jesus Christ living, breathing inside of us. And then he goes on to say that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend together with all the saints. He's praying this for the church, that communally, corporately, we would comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, I pray that for LOPC this morning. I pray that we would have strength to comprehend. I think of those who are hurting. I think of those who have experienced loss. I pray for the Bonner family. I pray for the Porter family. I pray for those who have experienced loss in the last year. I pray for those who are recovering from surgery and from different things. I pray for Jan Curtis this morning. I pray for Jack Oxford as he goes through his procedure this week. I pray for Karen Stott. I pray, Father, for any who are hurting, any who are going through trials, that we would together with all the saints have strength, because we're too weak to understand, have strength to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know your love that surpasses knowledge. To think if we assume we understand your love, when your love goes beyond knowledge itself, 
How arrogant can we be? Help us, Father, to enter more fully into your love. And then, Father, as a church, help us to make this love known to our community. Help us, Father, to offer hope to those who are hopeless, friendship to those who are lonely, to those who are isolated, that we would offer community, that, Lord, we would speak and proclaim and embody this message of grace, that we would be a welcoming church. Lord, I ask that you would help us. Holy Spirit, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. We need you. I know I'm not equal to this task. I don't have what it takes. Holy Spirit, unless you fill us as your people, we are not sufficient to the task. But Holy Spirit, you are. And just as Paul then prayed, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine. So stretch our minds, stretch our imaginations, and to you who's far more powerful to do even beyond the wildest thing that we can ask or imagine, to you be glory in the church forever and ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you have Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. And just to remind you what we're doing in the weeks leading up to Easter is we're looking at a series of sermons, kind of snapshots out of Luke's Gospel on encountering Jesus. And so we're looking at various aspects of Jesus' person and work culminating in his death and resurrection. We're looking at the humanity of Jesus. We saw Jesus in the wilderness last week where he will fight for us. This morning we are looking at the transfiguration of Jesus where we get a preview of glory. And we're going to be looking at topics like grace and judgment and his entering into his city on Palm Sunday, all leading up to Holy Week and Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and culminating in Easter Sunday. We are in Luke chapter 9 this morning looking at the transfiguration of Jesus, beginning at verse 28, and I will read down to verse 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken... Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord given by the triune God of love because he loves us. Let's pray. Your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And I pray this morning, Father, that your spirit would be our teacher applying your word to our hearts, not to just give us information. I truly don't pray that we just know stuff. I pray that the word pierces our hearts, that we're transformed, that we're made more like Jesus, that we see the hope of glory. Father, thank you for the power, the sufficiency, the authority of your word. May I trust the Holy Spirit as we just simply proclaim this and deliver this and receive this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of us enjoy going to movies? I know I do. Here's one of my regrets so far in my almost two years living here. I can't believe it. I'm embarrassed to admit this. I haven't made it up to the movie theater yet. Evie and I drive past, and we go, we still have to get to the movie theater and see a movie in there. Because we do love going to the movies. So picture the scene. You're sitting there. And you're at the movie, and of course, if you're Jeff, that means you have your big tub of popcorn, buttered, of course. 
You're eating your popcorn, you're drinking your soda, you're getting ready for whatever is showing, and what's the very first thing that comes on the screen? Not the commercials, by the way. The previews, right? When is the next Star Wars movie or whatever movie or whatever, the next blockbuster on Christmas Day or summertime coming out? And you know how previews work. We see them all the time. They're designed to get you excited, build up anticipation and hope in what is coming in the future. So now look at this passage with me. In this passage, commonly known as the Transfiguration, Jesus is giving Peter, James, and John the ultimate preview. Because this isn't a preview of a movie. This is a preview of the end of history. This is a preview of consummated glory. Of the end of all things. He is and he is inviting them to come into a deeper inner reality of what God is up to, of the inner reality of the kingdom, a preview of future glory in order to practically cultivate the discipline of hope in their life. Thus, it's the hope of glory. You know how you felt when you see a preview? Everyone's talking about it. You're circling the date. The goal is to get you to anticipate, to encourage, to build your hope for what is coming so that that hope can sustain you in the present. Jesus is doing that here for his disciples. For Peter, James, and John, he's giving them this preview of consummated glory in order to sustain them, to encourage them, to give them hope to what they will soon be facing. Jesus knows they're about to face very, very difficult and trying times. We know we face a dangerous, insecure world. What is it that strengthens us in the face of that? What is it that compels us to lead honest, authentic, and yet courageous lives? Friends, it's the hope of glory. It's the hope of glory that sustains us for what we have to face. So what do we learn from this preview of glory? Two simple points. Jesus here will give them a revelation of glory, and then he will give them an explanation of glory. Okay, look with me at verse 28. Look at the text. Now about eight days after these sayings. Now what were these sayings? These were the sayings that says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For he who wants to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And now, eight days after these sayings, where Jesus knows where he's headed, and he's preparing the disciples for where they're headed, do you think they really had a clue what this take up your cross daily means? That's kind of cryptic. To follow Jesus means you have to die daily? And Jesus says, yes. Now Jesus is preparing them. Eight days later, they go up on the mountain. Mountain is very significant. All of this is Exodus language. And as he's praying, the appearance of his face 
was altered. So here comes, he's peeling back the curtain. The preview is beginning. His clothing becomes dazzling white, a picture of holiness, purity, power. And behold, two men were talking with him. Talking with him means that our future is not just non-material, it must be physical as well. And here's Moses and Elijah appearing in glory as well. So in other words, consummated glory. Our future is one of glory. And they spoke of his departure, and departure there is actually the Greek word for exodus. So Jesus was about to go through an exodus himself to lead us in a new exodus. Speaking about what he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And it says, and Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. They must have had this kind of day, and it must have been daylight savings time for them as well or something. Because don't we, see, I have to throw that in every once in a while. I don't want you to be heavy with sleep as I give this. They're heavy with sleep. Their eyes weren't open yet to reality. And it says, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, and, and I have to always add here, I love Peter. He just encourages me so much because Peter messes up all the time, and I'm going, oh, you are such a help to Jeff Birch. Gives me such freedom in doing what I do. Peter says, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and Luke says, not knowing what he said. Don't you love that? Commentators provide the insight here that the transfiguration functions in the gospel much like the end of Isaiah 52 functions in relation to Isaiah 53. In other words, Isaiah 52 is a prelude for the suffering servant narrative of Isaiah 53, just like here, this is a prelude for what's about to happen to Jesus. So listen to the end of Isaiah 52. Isaiah writes, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. What is Isaiah talking about here? He is promising the servant's exaltation. Kings' mouths will be shut. Emperors will be silent. Nations will be sprinkled. The servant will act wisely. The plan of redemption will succeed. The gates of hell will not prevail against the plan, the sovereignty, and the kingdom of God. But first, something has to happen. Because look what follows in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom, from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, in other words, you have here a kind of outline for the gospel. You have the mission of Jesus the King, what Jesus came to accomplish and do, which Luke, by the way, describes interestingly enough in verses 30 and 31 as Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah about his departure. He is speaking literally about his exodus, which he will accomplish at Jerusalem. What will Jesus do in Jerusalem? He will die on a cross for the sins of his people. And what does death bring? It brings discouragement, disillusionment, despair, loss, confusion. And so how does the transfiguration function? It functions to give the disciples hope as this mission unfolds, a mission which will defeat evil, but in the most unexpected way possible and imaginable. imaginable. It will defeat evil by enduring and suffering through the worst that evil can throw at you. Jesus knows the disciples are going to need encouragement. They will need hope. So what does Jesus give them? He gives them this preview. He's inviting them in in order to give them hope. And he's inviting them in to see what? His exaltation, his ultimate kingship, his victory, his glory that Isaiah promised would be fulfilled by the Lord's suffering servant. It's like C.S. Lewis said, speaking of the hope of heaven, of eternity, of our future, heaven attained, once attained, will work backwards and turn even agony into glory. Friends, many of us sitting here today are suffering and going through agony. And friends, that is real. The pain is real. But I do pray we know this hope that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even our agony into a glory. Jesus knew the disciples would need this. Jesus knows we need this today. We need to know that even our agony, even our disillusionment, even our confusion, even our pain will be turned into a glory. That's why his love surpasses knowledge. That's why we need strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. His love is a supernatural force, a power, and a weapon that you can't just understand as a proposition. It is a force we're called to enter into to sustain us through the suffering and loss we go through today. We need the power and weapon of hope if we're going to live courageous, loving, compassionate lives in the face of inevitable suffering. Dan Allender put it this way. He said, biblical hope is substantial faith regarding the future. Hope is the dream of shalom, the anticipation of joy that comes through us and prompts us to rise and to rebuild, to envision and risk for what is not yet. Hope takes the experience of loss and uses it as the raw material 
for writing a new and unexpected story. You realize we were built for shalom? We were not built for this world. We were built for shalom. We were built for ultimate wholeness. We were built for wholeness and integration spiritually, physically, culturally, relationally, emotionally, intellectually, in every dimension. And this is what we aspire to be about as a church. This is what LOPC 2.0 is all about. To give a taste of shalom to Lake Oconee. Allender writes that hope leads us to envision and risk for what is not yet. To write a new and unexpected story. Don't you want to be a part of God writing a new and unexpected story for Lake Oconee? We need that. And of course, they do not yet understand the significance of the meaning of all of this. They see with Jesus, they see Elijah and, and Elijah and Moses, and here's Peter, of course, not knowing the significance, misunderstanding the significance of the situation, assuming, as we're reminded by commentators and scholars, that the time of this second exodus is totally fulfilled. The goal of the promised land has been realized. Peter's anxious like we are for the promised glory to be now. And it's okay. Of course we want glory now. We want heaven now. But there's one thing missing, and you can't bypass it, and that's suffering. Exaltation, which is what the transfiguration is revealing, is inseparably bound up with Jesus' humiliation, and you cannot escape that. Thus, the revelation of glory leads to his explanation of glory. As we look at the text, he says, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Remember, this is the second time now that a voice has been heard giving approval and affirmation of Jesus. The first was at Jesus' baptism, when the Spirit descended on him like a dove, anointing him for his work. And the voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now the text is telling us that a cloud overshadowed them, and this is not an insignificant detail. And the voice from the cloud is significant, because here is a clear allusion to the glory cloud from the Exodus, where in Exodus 24 we read of Moses going up on the mountain, the cloud covering the mountain, the glory of the Lord dwelling on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covering it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the cloud. On Mount Sinai, God came down. God revealed his presence, his beauty, his majesty, his glory in a cloud. It was called the Shekinah glory. And now, as Tim Keller says, in a head-snapping twist, Moses had reflected the glory of God as the moon reflects the light of the sun, but Jesus produces the unsurpassable glory of God. It emanates from him. Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God as Eliza, Moses, and every other prophet had done. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. 
And so the voice from the cloud says, this is the one. This is my son, the Messiah, the chosen one. Listen to him. Our entire life, our present and our future is bound up, depends on completely to listening to Jesus. So what do we do with all of this? What does it mean to listen to Jesus? How do we begin to apply this? See, remember the transfiguration is a preview of glory which speaks of the necessity along with the affirmation from the Father of the Son's mission to restore the world, to renovate all things, comprehensive renewal through Jesus' death, resurrection, and subsequent ascension into glory. The affirmation from the Father which he also received at his baptism from the glory cloud, what did it do for Jesus? It prepared and fortified him for the task ahead. It prepared and strengthened him. It fortified him for him accomplishing the mission. And guess what it does for us? It is the affirmation, the love, and the approval of the Father that prepares and fortifies us as we seek to live faithfully in the world. In other words, it is the love and approval, the affirmation of God that strengthens and prepares. If it prepares Jesus for the task that lays before him, it prepares us. He is strengthened by love, by affirmation, by encouragement. The answer is a living, powerful hope. See, we need to embrace and cultivate what Jesus has done for us. Probably the most important thing and yet the hardest thing for us to do is to remember each and every day our acceptance in Christ. There's a theologian by the name of Richard Lovelace who wrote at the outset of each day, we need to recall and remember that we are accepted in Jesus Christ. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are not alone. And we have spiritual authority in Christ. That's the only thing that's going to fortify us to face our future. We have to learn to embrace and cultivate what Jesus has done for us. See, this mission that he's describing, the glory that he's pre previewing, it is for us. That he died for you. That he was raised for you. That he has ascended for you. That he is glorified for you. That he intercedes for you. That he lives for you. His very life and ministry is bound up with ours. We never do anything on our own. We have died and our lives are hid with Christ. His gl this glory is for us. We need to cultivate that. We need to experience that. That's why the Lord's table is so important. We feed, we eat and drink from what Jesus has done for you. Do this in remembrance of me does not mean, oh, I forgot where I put my car keys. It means I need to be renewed in what Jesus has done for me. The reason Jesus gave us the table is so that we could have forgiveness, acceptance, approval, affirmation, and hope that we can taste. He wants it to be experienced by us. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him.
Father, I pray that we would listen to you now even as we come to the table, that we would truly enter into forgiveness that we can taste. Father, I pray that you will be with us as we come to the table now. I thank you so much for your word. May this preview of glory strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. As the elders come down to help serve the sacrament, let's stand and sing the first two verses of Rock of Ages. to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes If you have listened to Jesus, and what do I mean by that? I mean you acknowledge your own need for a Savior, you acknowledge you can't save yourself, and you have turned to Jesus in faith and trust and accept the gift of salvation for yourself. In other words, if you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of a church, part of his body, you recognize the body of the Lord, you are invited to come. In fact, you are encouraged to come to this table. This is a table of grace. This is a table of hospitality. This is a a table of the Lord's welcome to us. The Lord is the host. This is Jesus' table. He's the object of our worship, and he's feeding us here with himself to renew us, to strengthen us, to fortify us, to give us We're called to recognize the body of the Lord, and that means obviously our own individual relationship with the Lord, but it also means our relationship with one another, 
We are the body of Christ. This is a family meal. That's why we take this together. And so that's why we're called to examine our lives for things like resentment and bitterness, holding on to things. Jesus is saying, I want you to be free. Let them go. That's part of what it means to recognize the body of the Lord. I love reading the words of institution from Paul's letter to Corinth because the Corinthian church was so much like so many of our churches, such a mess. <laughs> Why was he encouraging them in this way? Because they were abusing the table. There was prejudice and there was divisions. And Jesus was bringing them together saying, I died for my worldwide family of God. This is meant to unify us, to strengthen us, to bring us together. Let's pray. We want to ask the Lord to set apart these elements for their holy and special use this morning. Father, thank you that these ordinary elements of bread and grape juice are used to signify and to seal what you've done for us. Help us to remember what you've done. Help us to be renewed in our relationship with you and to cultivate that and to embrace that in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that now, today, would be the day of salvation. That we would simply ask, Father, accept me because of what Jesus has done. We pray that you set apart these elements now and use them to strengthen and to give us grace as we feed on you. In Jesus' name, amen.
on the night Jesus was betrayed. After giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Because God has done what the law could not do, and that it was weakened by the flesh. God sent His Son. Lord, thank You. Thank You for reminding us that we are no longer under the sentence of condemnation, but we are under the sentence of grace and favor and acceptance if we are in Christ. We praise you for Jesus, your son, the one we are to listen to, abide in, have allegiance to, and follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service, let's stand together and sing the last two verses of Rock. now receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.